Hello and welcome to The Legal Cut, where we dissect your favorite scenes from TV, film, and literature to see how they hold up under the law. I'm Daniel Weber. I'm John Santiago. What topic are we discussing today, John? Well, Dan, today we are asking the question, can Spider-Man, superhero of New York City, be held liable for civil or criminal penalties for his web-slinging action? And specifically, are his webs a trespass, a private nuisance, a public nuisance, and can he face time in jail for property damage that he causes during his superhero duties? So that's why we're calling this week's episode, Spider-Man's Dirty Webs. Now, today's episode is a little different from our previous ones because Spider-Man spans uh, comic books, television, and films. So we're not looking at one particular action. However, when I think of Spider-Man, my thoughts go immediately to the trilogy in the early 2000s starring Tobey Maguire. How about you, Dan? I share your immediate reaction. Those were my first introductions to Spider-Man on the big screen. Of course, he was rebooted with, uh, was it Andrew Garfield? Yes, for two movies. Yeah, and, and now we have Tom Holland. Now we have Tom Holland, and we even had the animated Spider-Man movie into the Spider-Verse very recently. But I gotta say, Tobey Maguire, for me, special place in my heart. I think special place in yours, too. Do you have a favorite of the original three? Gotta be number two with Doc Ock. I was gonna say that. It's so good. Objectively, the best one. And we're gonna be talking about specific scenes from particularly that movie, uh, at least I will be later hmm. on in the episode. All right, all right. Well, we need to think about Spider-Man's webs in two contexts. He's not just swinging around fighting crime. He also has some fun. He's your friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. He's also going off to visit Mary Jane and Gwen Stacy. Ooh la la. So, yeah, so we need to discuss both <laughs> scenarios. Additionally, Spider-Man is one superhero who operates in a real location unlike Metropolis or Gotham City. So we need to look at actual laws from the state of New York to analyze this. We're going really deep with this one, Dan. The first tort we're going to look at is the common law tort of trespass. A trespass is the intentional entry or causing of something to enter another person's property without that person's consent. Now, John, do you think there's an issue over whether or not Spider-Man trespasses whenever his webs latch onto private buildings? I don't think there is any arguable issue that every time Spider-Man slings his webs, he is committing a trespass. Sorry, Spidey, but the moment your webs touch that building, you're trespassing. We're going to get into defenses in just a little bit, but let's cover the rest of the possible torts that Spider-Man might be liable for committing. The next tort is a private nuisance. What's a private nuisance, Dan? Private nuisance is the interference with the use or enjoyment of land that causes an injury in relation to an ownership right in that land. I feel like we should maybe unpack that just a little bit, John. Sure. When you talk about land, Dan, are you just talking about the physical ground or can it be a building? The way I think they're using land in this context is just referring to property. Now that's real property. That's land and structures on the land. Interference with the use or enjoyment of the land, that's basically anything that you've got a right to do on your land that you're not able to enjoy as much due to that nuisance occurring. Right, so I'm thinking uh, not necessarily it has to be something physical. It could be an offensive smell. Let's say you're always barbecuing meat Mm -hmm. every single day, 24-7. Could be noise. You could have a meat barbecuing nightclub next door to you. 
Yes, or a really, really bad rock band in a mm. garage mm-hmm. that I think every neighborhood in America has to have by law, apparently. Yeah, I think it's just your right as a teenager to rock. Uh... <laughs> I think the next issue we're going to look at is whether Spider-Man can be held liable for civil penalties under the theory that his dirty webs are a public nuisance. Public nuisance, John. Now, how does that vary from a private nuisance? Under the common law, a public nuisance is defined as something that obstructs the public from rights that are held by everyone. And so a public nuisance can endanger property, health, safety, or comfort. In New York, someone can be held liable for a public nuisance even if no harm has actually occurred yet, but there is a threat of the public being affected in some way. And that was the holding of the case in New York versus Shore Realty Group. Does that make sense? Yeah, I'm following you. Additionally, New York law treats public nuisance as a strict liability offense, meaning that there is no need to show that you are causing the nuisance intentionally or even knowingly. If you're causing it, you can be held liable. And that's the case of New York Trap Rock Corp versus Town of Clarkston. So it sounds like a public nuisance is a lower threshold. There's a lack of an intent element that goes along with it. That's correct, yes. So now that we've covered the offenses that Spider-Man might be committing, let's look at some defenses. We talked it over before, and I think we've come up with three defenses that are viable for Spider-Man in this situation. Right. First off, defending that the actual torts themselves aren't being committed. Basically stating that it's not a nuisance, it's not a trespass. I think our second one is maybe Spider-Man, somebody who commits great public services, might be able to claim some sort of government-type immunity, a qualified immunity, where by committing such a public servant, he might be a government actor and can't be held liable for actions that he's performing in the exercise of his duties. Interesting. We'll cross that bridge when we come to it, but you can see me and probably you can hear me rolling my eyes. I'm with you on that. But the great responsibility that came with the great power, John. This is true. What about the third defense, Dan? The third one, I think the one that might actually be most obvious, is the necessity defense. So, Dan, let's figure out whether Spider-Man commits a private nuisance. When he is web-slinging, do you think he is decreasing the enjoyment of the people who own all of those buildings in New York City? I'd say that there's definitely a little bit of an issue over fact here. Spider-Man is shooting a web, it connects with a building, he's swinging on through. You actually brought something up earlier when we were doing our research on an interesting fact that you found, hopefully not reviewing all the comics, because... <laughs> I, uh, I do have a day job. You do have a day job. But there's a little, it goes way back with the Spider-Man. But what I found, because Spider-Man is in comic, TV, and film, I wanted to know how long does it take for his webs to actually dissolve. And according to the comics, but not anywhere else, his webs take an hour to dissolve. But I think for the interest of this episode, we need to assume that the webs are around for a bit longer. So what about four hours? Oh, John, I think we're going to have to stipulate that they're going to last as long as the closest natural existing webs that are out there. Now a spider web goes out, they make them all night, they last basically until somebody walks face first into it. Are you proposing, what, what is your stipulation proposal, counselor? My proposal is that these have to be removed. I feel like it's a bit of lazy writing where they probably have the same question that we have. There's webs all over the place. Uh, ooh, that's eventually going to be an issue, right? Oh yeah, well, I don't know, whatever. Let's just say they dissolve in an hour. Well, Dan, I think I'm really uh, giving you a leg up here in this episode, but I will agree to the stipulation that Spider-Man's webs last at least throughout the night or until somebody physically removes them. Let's say maybe a month. 
We're talking a big sticky web. Okay, Dan, I will agree to stipulate that Spider-Man's webs last indefinitely until they're cleaned off by some other person or thing. That's very generous of you, John. Let's go ahead and proceed. We've already covered that it's a trespass, so we're now looking at whether it's a private nuisance. We're looking for whether this is an interference with the use and enjoyment of land, which includes the property that's developed up onto it, buildings and the such, that causes an injury in relation to an ownership right in the land. Basically, you can't enjoy your property as much as your rights would allow you to because of Spider-Man. You've got a web coming up onto your balcony, your window, the side of your building. I'm looking at people who have interests in that, and that's going to be tenants and building owners. Now, the building owner has an interest in keeping a clean building. That's right, yes. So wherever these webs go, I'm seeing that he's got a bit of an injury here. He's got a right to a clean building. He's going to have to hire somebody to go up on that little pulley cart to peel these things off if he can't get out a window and pull it off himself. As for the tenants themselves, they have limited access to fresh air, light, and when you've got webs going up in front of those, you're reducing your enjoyment of that land. That's potentially true, Dan, but I'm having a hard time believing that the webs themselves are hazards in any way way. These webs are on the exteriors of office buildings. Maybe they might be blocking a window so some poor intern grabbing coffee at Prada can't see outside of her office window. But all in all, these webs aren't interfering with the tenants or owners use of their skyscrapers or use of their apartments. John, you're taking a narrow view of the use of these apartments and these skyscrapers. You're looking at the functionality of them. Right. So in terms of the space itself, sure, people are able to enjoy being in and going around, but I do believe part of the reason you pay for a big window in your sky rise, or even just pay for that outside unit that has a small window, for these guys that are just saving up their pennies to pay for that high New York rent, that little bit of light, that little bit of fresh air, if somebody's covering that up, they're harming you. You know, Dan, I'm going to take a little bit of a outside-the-box thought to this private nuisance issue, and I think it will blend in with public nuisance, but don't you agree that Spider-Man being in your neighborhood next to your apartment next to your office building is actually beneficial for you. You have a personal protector. And yes, you might have to deal with his webs, but there is evidence that he's actually patrolling your street. John, I think that's an interesting argument. I don't think it negates whether or not he's actually performing the prima facie case for a private nuisance. That is fair. That's fair. Would you like to move on to public nuisance? Let's take a look at public nuisance now. Maybe he's not really creating all that much of a public nuisance. He's swinging around, but he's up in the air. He's not creating a hazard that all the folks hustling and bustling down on the streets of New York are going to run into. We're talking about webs dangling from streetlights, sides buildings. Uh, I can't see people getting caught like flies unless they're a bad guy that Spider-Man is chasing down. That's very true. Another interesting point is that this is New York City. New York City, which is not the cleanest, most beautiful <laughs> city in the world. Hey, what are you talking about? That's my all right, city. All right, all right, all right. Okay, not really. <laughs> <laughs> There are people that argue it's the greatest city in the world. I'm not saying that it's not, but no one is going to come up and tell you that New York City streets are the cleanest, most pristine places in the world. What are you talking about? I don't got a right to a web-free city. <laughs> hey. <laughs> 
All right. I'll, no more. We can stipulate. I will do no more bad New York impressions. Okay. okay. So stipulated. Thank you for the love of the listeners. So what do you think about that? <laughs> I think on behalf of New Yorkers, I'm offended. Uh, <laughs> no, no. New Yorkers are tough. They're not so offended. Um, no, no. New York is known for having some grit to it. But I do believe that if there's some public nuisance created by it, if somebody is having, if you're walking and your shoe gets stuck in a web. That's potentially a hazard. I don't think there's any occurrence of someone getting sick because of Spider-Man's webs or injured by a falling web. Yeah, the only, I guess, hypothetical way I could think of somebody being in danger because of these webs would be, let's say a public employee has to remove them and because of the heights involved, because it's a sticky material, it might be dangerous. They might fall and there's a little bit of risk just removing it from the height. Besides that, I can't really see a way that this is a common nuisance to the public that the public itself shares. Well, let's move on to the defenses, Dan. I think we need to discuss Spider-Man himself and whether his identity as a masked vigilante might play a role in some of these defenses. So we've covered the first defense on the, just the face of the matter itself. The prima facie case of trespass, private nuisance, and public nuisance. Let's look at these defenses, these affirmative defenses that you have to raise yourself, Mr. Spider-Man, to defend yourself against these uh, allegations. A rather novel theory. Are his webs a byproduct of his actions as a government actor. In most scenarios, Spider-Man is not elected or appointed by the public to perform a duty. Perhaps maybe in some of the comic storylines, the mayor of the city or something asks him to do a favor, but most of the time he's working on his own. And even though he is performing a police function, I'm not sure that you can actually say he is a government actor. All right, so we were looking at two elements here. We've got whether or not he is a government actor, then whether or not he's putting his, these webs up on the buildings in the course of his duties as a government actor. I feel like we're stretching it, at least maybe until he becomes an Avenger, to call him a government actor. He's your friendly neighborhood Spider-Man, but as you described him, a masked vigilante. He's out there of his own accord. If he's Mr. Avenger, then maybe he's got some sort of government blessing behind him. Maybe, yes. That one's a little iffy, but it's possibly met. As for the other case, I think this is where we get into where the facts of Spider-Man's life and use of the webs diverge. Let's look at something he's doing in the course of his duties. John, do you have like a favorite scene where Spider-Man's being a hero? Yes. The train scene from Spider-Man 2 is my favorite. There is a runaway train, everyone's screaming, Spider-Man single-handedly stands in front of the train, throws his webs all over the place. He's ripping the sides off of buildings. He's causing major property damage, and he's even using his legs to try to stop the train, and he's busting tracks. He is creating as much chaos as possible, but he saves all of the people on the train. In that particular case, he is doing the duties of a government actor. A public safety officer, if they could, would do something like that. Is there another scene you have in mind? Yeah, I'm inclined to agree with everything you said about that scene. My, my favorite scene is where Auntie May is being carried off by Dr. Octopus up the side of a building. Auntie May is getting tossed around by Dr. Octopus and they're fighting. Spider-Man shooting his webs, chasing Dr. Octopus up the side of the building. Spectacular fight, some of the best action direction. <laughs> I love that. Right now he's doing very much same thing what a public servant would do. You'd hope a police officer would intervene to save somebody who was in trouble by an aggressor. Spider-Man's doing just that, going after to save Auntie May, trying to take down bad guy. He's shooting those webs up onto the building. Yeah, he's going to maybe leave those because he's got to continue to fight Dr. Octopus. That would be within the scope of his duties if we're applying government actor rules to him. But what about Dan when he is, I believe this is in The Amazing Spider-Man 2, 
with Andrew Garfield, he creates this web hammock. And he and Gwen Stacy are just lying in there talking with some really badly written dialogue. Is that in the course of his duties as a government actor? Absolutely not. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, we've also got the quintessential scene from the first movie where he's dangling upside down looking at his other boo, Mary Jane. Oh, yeah. And she pulls the mask off ever just so far to kiss his lips upside down. If we were looking at whether or not he's the scope of an employee in a agency case, this is a frolic and detour for sure sure when he goes frolicking with his ladies. Now in terms of qualified immunity, he's definitely not within the scope of his duties if he's a government actor. What about that third defense, Dan? The defense of necessity. What does that say? Alright, so he's causing all sorts of mayhem when he's on that train. He's leaving some dirty webs when he's fighting Dr. Octopus on the side of the building. But at the same time, there's lives at stake. He has to take these actions to prevent great harm to people. So the actions that uh, Spider-Man takes to save life are definitely in proportion to the risk that he's averting. Human okay. life is viewed as more valuable than property under the law. When he's on the train and he's shooting out the webs and he's stopping it and he's ripping the sides off buildings. When he's leaving some webs up on the sides of the building fighting Dr. Octopus to save Auntie May. Both instances where the damage caused is worth the lives saved. Dan, I'm going to take it one step further and I'm going to say that even when he is frolicking with Mary Jane and Gwen Stacy or that scene in Spider-Man 2 where he's delivering the pizzas as Spider-Man flying from building to building, I would argue that that would qualify under the necessity defense. And I know, I know you have a shock look on your face right now. Flabbergasted, John. Here is my argument. <laughs> Spider-Man is a superhero. Mm. He is defending New York City against the greatest threats facing the population. I say, give Spider-Man a pass. His webs, whether they are used to fight Doc Ock or to deliver pizzas, are all a necessity because his primary function is defending people and protecting them. So I say, he's a superhero. Let him swing. Hmm. I think that's an interesting idea. I think we can get one step closer if we look at those actions as necessary to train him to be ready when there is an emergency. I mean, police officers have to drive fast. We prefer they don't learn it on the job when they're in a high-speed chase. <laughs> so maybe there is a way to squeeze that in. But that's an interesting point. Maybe someone will have to look into. On that note about the necessity defense, we're going to look at the second issue, and that is whether Spider-Man can be held criminally liable for property destruction. Now, in New York, this is called criminal mischief, and it includes simple vandalism. And a person is guilty of criminal mischief when they intentionally damage the property of another, when they have no right to do so, nor have any reasonable belief that they have the right to do so. And that is New York Penal Code Section 145. Do you think the necessity defense applies to that crime? Necessity is also a defense in criminal law. And it also has a proportionality issue to it. In the two cases we talked about where he's averting public disaster, he can fully lean on the necessity defense. Like we discussed with the other two frolic and detour cases with Gwen and Mary Jane, I think it's a bit of a harder case to make. I think our opinions are actually quite diverged this episode on Spider-Man and his liabilities. So, Dan, what are your final thoughts, your closing argument, if you will, about Spider-Man's civil and criminal liabilities? Ladies and gentlemen of the audience, Spider-Man slinging around town may be exciting, but look at what he's leaving behind. These webs are tough enough to catch a falling person and sticky enough to bind a body to a telephone pole. The original point of the web, as we find it in nature, is to create a home for spiders that double as a trap to catch its dinner. 
Bugs that touch that web are stuck until the spider comes crawling out to suck them dry. They go in, they don't come out. Does that sound like something you want to clean off your window or your balcony? Cobwebs are a pain. Now imagine the webs scaled up from spider to man. These stick strong enough to rip mortar off buildings. When Peter Parker swings over to visit Mary Jane or Gwen Stacy, he gets to fly across the city, leaving his filthy webs hanging all over the city. Think of the tenants, who already struggle to afford their tiny apartments, having to scrub these sticky burdens from the tiny amount of access to the outside world they have. And these are the lucky ones. We've seen these webs grip and rip the masonry off of buildings, causing massive property damage. Imagine that in a cold New York winter. Building owners are going to have to hire professionals to remove this mess and repair the buildings, and the tenants are the ones who ultimately are going to foot the bill. Beyond a doubt, it's a trespass. Spider-Man intentionally causes his webs to latch onto these buildings. You know he doesn't ask for permission from the tenants and building owners when he gets a booty call from one of his ladies. This is an intentional invasion onto the property of another. 100%, it's a nuisance. Private nuisance for sure. These dirty webs interfere with the enjoyment of the limited access to fresh air and sunshine that New Yorkers enjoy as they scrape together rent every month. They have a right to clean windows and porches. Spider-Man might claim he's just responding to emergencies, but he's leaving more webs on buildings than graffiti on the streets. Hold this man accountable. Fine for the New Yorkers. Find that Spider-Man has trespassed and caused a nuisance. I rest, John. The floor is yours. With great power comes great responsibility. Spider-Man exercises reasonable responsibility and should not be held liable for either the civil torts of public or private nuisance, nor for the act of criminal mischief. With regard to the torts of public and private nuisance, Spider-Man's webs do not meet the definition of a nuisance. Exposure to these webs have caused no health risk or hazard to New Yorkers, and there is no evidence that they ever will. Even if you argue that these webs cause a visual disturbance, we're talking about New York City, which no one will claim is the cleanest, most pristine city in the world. Webs hanging through the city do not rise to the level of visual disgust that would warrant a public or private nuisance. Because of this, Spider-Man doesn't need any other defense against these torts. Now, in relation to the tort of trespass, I will concede that Spider-Man is liable for trespass each time he attaches his web to someone else's property. With regard to the charge of criminal mischief, Spider-Man does commit property damage whenever he destroys property while battling the bad guys. However, he does not commit property damage through the mere action of web-slinging, for the reasons stated previously. When Spider-Man does commit property damage during crime fighting, he is doing it out of necessity, protecting the public good against greater enemies and dangers. Do you remember how he heroically stopped a wayward train single-handedly? He caused thousands of dollars in property damage, but he saved hundreds of lives. Spider-Man is a hero. Yes, he operates as an unappointed vigilante, but he is no criminal. He is not a nuisance. It is our great responsibility to deliver justice and find him not liable and not guilty. I rest. Well said, John. Well, Dan, I think once again, we've covered all the bases. I'd like to announce that we have an email set up for our audience's comments. And if you have any topics you'd like for us to discuss on these episodes, you can reach us at legalcut at gmail.com. What's that email again, Dan? Why, it's legalcut 
at gmail.com. Tune in next time for more legal analysis of your favorite scenes from pop culture. I'm Dan. I'm John. And this has been The Legal Cut. Thank you.